Psalm 96. O sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord, bless his name. Proclaim the good news of his salvation from day to day. Declare his glory among the nations, his wonders among all peoples. For the Lord is great and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all gods. For all the gods of the peoples are idols, but the Lord made the heavens. Honor and majesty are before him. Strength and beauty are in his sanctuary. Give to the Lord, O families of the peoples, give to the Lord glory and strength. Give to the Lord the glory due his name. Bring an offering and come into his courts. O oh, worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. Tremble before him all the earth. Say among the nations, the Lord reigns. The world also is firmly established. It shall not be moved. He shall judge the people righteously. Let the heavens rejoice and let the earth be glad. Let the sea roar and all its fullness. Let the field be joyful and all that is in it. Then all the trees of the woods will rejoice before the Lord. For he is coming, for he is coming to judge the earth. He shall judge the world with righteousness and the people with his truth. Appreciate the opening of that last song we sang that Jesus came for Pharisees and hypocrites. You know, we learned about all kinds of different sinners last week, and this week we're going to learn about some that are also very much like me, and I'm glad Jesus came to save me. So we have a couple announcements that I want to make before we start, but first of all, I wanted to say on Friday, I got this text message from somebody in our congregation here, and so I wanted to share that with you. I was glad I got it Friday and not this morning because that gave me a chance to prepare some extra content for you all. I'm sure you'll appreciate that tremendously. I understand our Haiti team made it uh, safely to Haiti and not without a few bumps that were enough to make us thankful that they made it. And and all of them made it, I believe, so keep praying for them. Also, next week is our quarterly missions offering. I just wanted to remind everybody about that. And also, you know, I wanted to mention, too, that CMML, Christian Missions in Many Lands, is a missionary organization who has been a, a big support both to Creekside and to the people in Liberia in the situation that we encountered the last couple of months. And they've used a lot of 
uh, funds from an emergency fund to help out with not the least of which bringing Lois back home, but also just stepping through things with the elders and connecting us with resources that were a big help. So if you have extra funds and you feel so inclined and you would like to make a little bit more than your normal donation to the missions fund, that that would be useful. We don't want to short any of our other missionaries that we support on a regular basis from our normal offering. So I'm going to start us out with prayer. And I would appreciate too if you, if you want to pray along with me and for me. That would be great that the Spirit of God would just lead our time this morning. Father, thank you for your word and thank you that you sent your Son to save each and every one of us. All sinners, Lord, whether we realize it or not. And I just pray that this morning, if there's anyone here who is unaware of the peril that they stand in today, that they would, they would be convicted by your Spirit and turn in faith and repentance to you, God, and in faith in Jesus Christ. And we just thank you for this opportunity this morning to open Romans chapter 2. And uh, just thank you, too, for bringing the Haiti team down there safely. And I just pray that you would bless their activities and that you would uh, keep them and uh, give them success. Pray that they would each know you better through this experience and also the uh, the others down there that they're visiting would, would grow in their knowledge of you as well. Just pray for your blessing on your word as we read it this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, in May of 2018, my whole division of my company was called into uh, the big assembly hall for a big announcement about our strategy. It was the IT division, over 200 people gathered there. And I've been through that quite a few times in you know, I always think change is just as likely to be good as bad, so kind of went in with a, a good attitude, and they presented what their plans were, and like, oh, yeah, that, that makes sense. I can get on board with that, and then part of the announcement, they said, you know, with this reorganization, there's going to be some changes in positions, and if you're affected, when you get back to your desk, you'll have a meeting on your calendar, so like, okay, sounds reasonable, so I go back to my desk, and sure enough, I've got a meeting on my calendar in about 15 minutes. So I go down, you know, all ready for this. Change is, change is nice sometimes. So I go in and, and my boss is there, my boss's boss and Cheryl from HR is there. And my boss's boss says, well, Bob, uh, your position is one of the ones that are affected by this. And I thought, of course, that's why we're having this meeting, right? So I'm on board. Whatever it is, I'm on board. So they slide across this packet of information. And the first thing I notice was the word severance. <laughs> so severance, and they talked about continuation of benefits and, and your last day, and it just kind of dawned on me like, oh, they're firing me. <laughs> they're letting me go, and they're very gracious about it, but par partly that gracious way that they did it, it caught me off guard because I, I was on board. I thought I was on board with their plans. And I thought I was part of their plans, and I quickly realized I'm not on board. Well, I was not part of their plans. Maybe I should say it that way, that we were parting ways. And so this morning, I think as we read Romans chapter 2, I think we will see that there are some of us that maybe think we're on board with God, 
And I don't want us to get too comfortable thinking we're on board with God and His plans until we understand that fully, because some of us need to get on board with God through repentance for our sins. So, um, just want to give us some context, because if we just take these 16 verses that we're going to go over today and we don't have the context, it might seem a little discouraging, it might seem a little disheartening, but we want to keep in mind the purpose for this chapter. So, as Pastor Steve has kind of laid out for us the the theme of Romans is that God has made a way through faith for all of us to escape His wrath and to live an obedient life. And that way is Christ Jesus, the Son of God. Okay, so we had in chapter 1, Paul was uh, happy to share the gospel because it was for everyone. It was good news. And there is a issue that gave Paul priority with this because God's wrath was revealed against man. And so now we are in this section, chapter 118 through chapter 3, verse 20, where uh, we're learning that God's wrath is revealed against all men. And he's going through this kind of systematically because there's a lot of different kind of people in this world, right? But there's some categories of sinners that Paul is, is going to describe in detail and has described in detail. And so maybe uh, last week, as Pastor Steve talked about different kinds of sinners, maybe at some, at some point you're like, that's right, preach it, brother. They're in trouble. They're out of sorts with God. But when we come to chapter 2, we're going to read that people that think that way are in trouble with God too. And so knowing the standard, but using it to judge others and not to repent is not helpful. It doesn't get us on board with God's plans, and it, it could lead to a surprise. So today we are going to talk about those who have a law, but use the law to judge others rather than repent and obey it themselves. And so I just want to give you this spoiler alert, if you will, because when we get to the end of this section in chapter 3, verse 9, we are going to read this. It says, For we have already charged that all, both Jews and Greeks, are under sin. As it is written, none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. None is good, not even one. Okay, so sometimes we like to say, well, I'm in good company. Well, we're, we're in bad company, all of us. Thankfully, in the context of all of Romans, being in bad company in this sense is good news for us because God has made a way for us to be moved out of bad company into communion with Him. So this section probably, I don't know how many of you it, it touches, but it touches me because this really fits my testimony. I don't know how many of you were here when Brett Riceley talked to us about personal evangelism and encouraged us to kind of consolidate our testimony and relationship with God into a brief statement. And this is, this is what my statement was. I was self-righteous, judgmental, and did not love people well. But God in His mercy and grace had patience with me and humbled me so that now I'm growing in grace, mercy, and love for others. 
see where I was, right where we're going to be reading about. But God came in, and he's, he's working in my life, and he's bringing me on board with his plans, and he's made me righteous before God, and, and through faith, I can walk in a different way now. I can live in a different way that is congruent with him and his plans. So I'm going to read the first 16 verses here of Romans chapter 2. It says, Therefore you have no excuse, O man, every one of you who judges, for in passing judgment on another you condemn yourself, because you, the judge, practice the very same things. We know that the judgment of God rightly falls on those who practice such things. Do you suppose, O man, you who judge those who practice such things and yet do them yourself, that you will escape the judgment of God? Or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? But because of your hard and impenitent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. He will render to each one according to his works, to those who by patience and well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality, he will give eternal life. But for those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, there will be wrath and fury. There will be tribulation and distress for every human being who does evil, the Jew first and also the Greek. But glory and honor and peace for everyone who does good, the Jew first and also the Greek. For God shows no partiality. For all who have sinned without the law shall also perish without the law, and all who have sinned under the law will be judged by the law. For it is not the hearers of the law who are righteous before God, but the doers of the law who will be justified. For when Gentiles who do not have the law by nature do what the law requires, they are a law to themselves, even though they do not have the law. They show that the work of the law is written on their hearts while their conscience also bears witness, and their conflicting thoughts accuse or even excuse them. On that day when, according to my gospel, God judges the secrets of men by Christ Jesus. Okay, so it, this starts out with a therefore. So we need to remind ourselves, as we have, what, what we had in chapter 1, that people who know about God but don't acknowledge him as God and don't give thanks to him, stand in separation from God. So because of the judgment of God against man, people who want to use that standard to judge others but not to get in alignment with God are condemned. So this is another category, we could say, of uh, sinners People that don't acknowledge God, just like we're described in chapter 1, verse 21, uh, are covered in this chapter. So that's why we titled this Judging the Judge, because the fact that you're able to set yourself, or I'm able to set myself up as a judge of others, is not what makes me able to stand before God as being obedient and in alignment with Him. It's what do we do? So... There is this situation here. It says, we know that the judgment of God rightly falls on those who practice such things. 
And do you suppose you'll escape the judgment of God? So judgment of God features very prominently in this passage. And so we're going to talk a little bit about what that means and what that's like. But first of all, it says in verse 4, Do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience? So Paul says these things that God is doing, he's holding back his judgment on you. He's forbearing with you. He's doing that because he wants you to come to repentance. It's not because you deserve that mercy. So if you think about it, Adam and Eve, if you know that story, God told them in the day that you eat of that fruit, you're going to die. Well, they ate it, and they didn't die right away. God made a covering for them. They recognized, oh, we're, we got a problem. We're naked, and God covered that. But he didn't kill them right away. And so because of his patience, there can be a thought that we have in our mind that, well, I really deserve my life to be the way it is. We may think I even deserve to live. And so Ecclesiastes chapter 8 tells us this. It says, because sentence against an evil work is not executed speedily, the heart of the children of man is fully set to do evil. See, when the consequence doesn't come right away, our hearts can get hard. And we can think, this is, this is what I deserve. I deserve this mercy. But really, what God is trying to do is lead us into repentance. So I'm also going to turn over to Luke uh, chapter 13 and read a story that, that happened in Jesus' life. Some people came and brought a piece of of bad news to Jesus. And it says in verse 13, chapter one, or chapter 13, verse 1, there were some present at that very time who told him about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. So they were making sacrifices, and Pilate came in and slaughtered them. They were killed along with their sacrifices. And Jesus answered them, Do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered in this way? So I'm just going to pause right there and say, you know, if somebody came and told me about something like this, I might want to say, well, that's not, you shouldn't look at that as the judgment of God. That kind of thing happens, right? Well, that's not what Jesus said. He said, no, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Or those 18, so then he brings up another story from the news there, those 18 on whom the Tower of Siloam fell and killed them. Do you think that they were worse offenders than all the others who lived in Jerusalem? So evidently there was a, a catastrophe where a tower fell down and killed 18 people. And Jesus says, no, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. And we see and hear often in this life, people challenging God. It's like, if God is good and if God is all-powerful, then why do these bad things happen? Well, honestly, what Jesus says there and what Paul says here is the fact that these bad things aren't happening to all of us and all of us aren't dying in a, in a catastrophic and gruesome way is because of the goodness of God. And so when God pulls back the curtain a little bit, and we see a little bit of what his judgment 
looks like, we shouldn't be saying, oh, God is uh, unjust to, to punish these people this way or to let this happen to these people. We should be saying, this is where I'm going to end up, and I need to be in alignment with God. I need to enter in, I need to repent. So I need to turn away from the, the sins that I'm practicing and turn to God and seek Him. And we'll see a little bit here shortly what that looks like. But when we take for granted God's mercy, which all of us experience every day, that we are alive, when we take that for granted, our hearts can get hardened. And so Paul is working on our hard hearts to bring them in alignment to God. So don't take God's goodness for granted. So as I said, this passage teaches us a lot about God's judgment. There's four things that I want to call out about God's judgment today. So number one, God's judgment is scheduled. That maybe sounds funny, but it it is scheduled. Number two, it's based on deeds, things that we've done. Number three, it's impartial. And finally, it is based on a standard. And God has made that standard known to all of us, and there are standards available to each one of us. I want to just make a note here, too, because there are always philosophies that want to discount God, like we had in chapter 1. They knew They saw about God, but they didn't acknowledge him as God. Okay, so God is holy. He's transcendent. He is an authority. And if we're going to acknowledge him as God, then we need to acknowledge his wisdom, his power, and his authority, and make that personal in our lives. Okay, so there are philosophies in every age, and this age is no different, that undermine that. And I was just... Uh, Debbie shared with me an email she got this week talking about a a book that is a children's book presenting itself as a conversation between people and God. And one of the, I'm just going to read part of this. It says, one of the questions that is asked God is about forgiveness of sin. And God's reply is, I do not forgive anyone because there is nothing to forgive. There's no such thing as right or wrong. And that's what I've been trying to tell everyone. Do not judge people. People have chosen to judge one another, and this is wrong because the rule is, quote, judge not lest you be judged. Okay, so this author is taking a position of speaking for God, but he didn't get it from God's word. Okay, so he really misrepresented God. And even in, his, even in what he said, he quoted, judge not lest ye be judged. Well, what's that last few words say? Lest ye be judged. So he, he contradicted himself, which philosophies of man will do eventually. But this is not what we're reading in Romans chapter 1 and 2. And we can argue that away if we want but there's going to come a day when we find out that we're on the wrong page and that we didn't repent in time. And God's judgment is scheduled. So I want to, I want to look at a couple of uh, verses to speak to that. So God's judgment is scheduled both personally and globally. 
This first verse here in, in Hebrews says, It is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes the judgment. So each of us is going to die, and I think, I think we accept that as a matter of science, right? I mean, that happens. We probably, in, in a certain way, we don't think it's going to happen to us, but eventually that becomes more and more evident. I am going to die. After that comes the judgment. So we need to find our refuge in repentance and faith in God before that judgment comes. So then when I say uh, that it's also scheduled globally, and it's, it says it, it is appointed to a man. So we have an appointment. We don't know when it is. But then Acts 17 uh, says, The times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. There's that word again, repent. Turn, take sides with God. Because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. So there is a day set for the whole world to be judged by God. We're not taking Romans out of context of the rest of the Bible, not taking that verse out of context. This is a theme throughout the scriptures. God's judgment is coming. What's God's judgment based on? Well, it's based on the deeds, and there's two outcomes that we can experience based on what we've done. First of all, there is a reward of eternal life for those who, by patience and by doing well, seek glory and honor and immortality. And so, when we seek those things, there's a reward of eternal life. Well, let's look a little bit more closely. So, by patience and doing well, this shows us, I think, that this, this has to be a lifestyle. Patience. It's an ongoing thing. It's something that we're doing even when it's hard to do. It's something we are doing even when we're not getting a reward. And so, patience in doing well. It's not just, I periodically volunteer, or I periodically uh, help my neighbor with the snow, or when they need help, I help them. This is a patient, enduring, in doing well, and not just that, but it's seeking glory and honor and immortality. And all of these words have a sense of them that there's a, a future value of all of these things. So the glory, glory means a display of something excellent. And specifically, the character of God should be on display in our lives. And it's something, glory is something and combined with honor that in this context means that when those deeds are examined and our motives for those deeds, we'll see that later, are examined, it's all going to show glory. So I don't know about you, but um, that disqualifies the good deeds that I do in my own strength and for my own purposes. And it also brings in this immortality you know and we we sometimes use that word immortal uh falsely when i was in college i i had a creative writing class and i i kind of enjoyed it 
it was really out of, I, I'm a computer programmer, you know, that's what I was studying, so, you know, creative writing was a stretch for me. I'm not sure why I took it, um, but I actually, I kind of enjoyed it, and, and my professor liked me, and, and she said, you need to change your major, because, you know, you'll be poor, but you'll be immortal. <laughs> What did she mean by that? She meant, well, the things you do, you'll, you know, you'll write a book of poems, and, and so people 100 years from now will be able to read those poems like that would happen, you know? <laughs> but people do seek immortality that's not really immortality. This is somebody that's living for heaven and for the glory of God, and that's not something that we just do naturally. So... You know, they're judged by their deeds, by the things they did. But if we look at that carefully, we'll realize that just on our own, as we're born into this world, this is an impossible situation for us to achieve eternal life. Which is why Paul started out back in chapter 1. He said in verse 17, For in the gospel the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. So God has made a way through Jesus so that through faith, these things can actually be true. Because what is faith? It's, it's the realization of things that aren't seen. And we're looking to heaven and a future day when all of our deeds will be exposed before God and the motives behind them will be exposed before God and we're seeking that at that moment... There's going to be glory that will display the excellence of God for everyone to see. And so that, that is possible, thanks to the gospel. But it's not possible in our natural state. So what's the other outcome here? Wrath, fury, tribulation to those who are self-seeking. Those who do not obey the truth, but those who obey unrighteousness. So those are, those are heavy words, right? We talked about it a little bit last week. Wrath. God has an anger against sin. And it's because it's not congruent with his character and his nature. And it's also because it, it works. You know, we read about seeking immortality, but sin breaks things down. It broke if, if you go back and study what happened after Adam and Eve disobeyed, it broke their relationship with each other. It broke their relationship with creation. It broke their relationship with God. And it even broke their relationship with themselves. That's not what God created this world, and that's not what God created us for. And so he has wrath against sin. And as sinners, we all are objects of God's wrath. And he has a fury. On that day when those appointments come, there's going to be, I, it seems like the meaning of the fury refers to kind of this burst of judgmental activity that's going to be on display of God against sin as he purges sin and all of its effects from creation. And then... Uh, finally, tribulation. And that's, that, I think, carries a little bit more of an ongoing trouble. God's judgment 
is ongoing. And it's based on our deeds. So, no matter what we know, it doesn't matter what we know, it's what we do. And all of us, I would venture to guess, you know, you may know some really good people who have no time for Jesus, but I would guess that if you were able to peel back the layers, you would see some motives that are not holy. And that's not my job, so I'm not recommending you do that, but it's true. Um, and God will one day get to those motives. So it's, it's based on deeds. Second, God's, or third, God's judgment is without partiality based on privilege. Where did we get that? We got that in verse 9. It says there will be tribulation and distress for every human being who does evil, the Jew first and also the Greek. But glory and honor and peace for everyone who does good, the Jew first and also the Greek, for God shows no partiality. So the Jews, they got God's law in written form very explicitly. Here's what's acceptable to God and here's what's not acceptable to God. And they had received that information from God, and that was a privilege for them to receive that knowledge. Well, they failed in it, just like the barbarians and the Greeks that we read about who saw nature, and they, they could have known from nature how wise and how powerful God was. But instead, they worshipped the creation, and they didn't acknowledge God their creator, as the one who was transcendent and holy and had authority over them. They didn't bow to him, they bowed to his creation. So we all broke whatever information we had. And we'll get even more details on that in a minute here, but God judges without partiality. He doesn't, he's not going to give any of us a pass because, oh, oh, you were a Jew? Okay, well, we'll give you extra points. Oh, you, you were raised in a Christian home and you, you know, kept your nose clean, never got in trouble with the law, stayed away from drugs and alcohol, and, you know, stayed away from all those bad kids at school. You get extra points. No. That privilege led to the, leads to the Jews being the first to receive the judgment, and then the Greeks. So whatever privilege God has given us, and we are very richly blessed in this day and age that we live on in. Every one of us can have easy access to the Word of God, either through printed form or on digital devices. It's accessible to all of us. And we know more about God and His ways than people have for millennia. Because we have access to his word. But that knowledge is not going to get us any closer to God. It's just going to move us. If I could say this, I, I think this is true. It's going to move us further up in the line for judgment. Unless there's the response of faith and obedience of faith and righteousness of faith that God calls for. So it's without partiality. It's based on privilege it's also based on standards. And I don't think this is an exhaustive list, but this is a list that we get in this passage of some of the standards 
that are used to judge people. So there's the law, verse 12. As we said, God gave in written form to the Jews his law, what to do, what to not do. They had that. So they're going to be judged with the law, it says, if they disobeyed. So then it also talks about nature here. So it says in verse 14, For when Gentiles who do not have the law by nature do what the law requires, they are a law to themselves, even though they don't have the law. So generally, pretty much anybody you talk to, if you would talk to them long enough, you're going to find out that they have some standard of right and wrong. And usually, I mean, maybe the quickest way to get to it is, is it okay to hurt other people? And in general, people are going to say no. It's like, you can do whatever you want as long as you don't hurt anybody else. Well, that's a perversion of God's law, but it contains a grain of truth from God's law that you should love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and you should love your neighbor as yourself. Well, they might skip the part about loving God, but they've got that baked into their conscience. And so then the conscience is also something that will judge us because our conscience might not be fully educated and it can also be seared. You know, we can live a lifestyle that makes our conscience more and more dull over time, but we have these conflicting thoughts in verse 15, either accuse them or excuse them. So we may have a standard inside of ourselves that, or we do have a standard inside of ourselves of what we think is okay and not okay. And even that is something that God will use to judge us. And I would dare say that there's not anybody in this whole world who's never done anything that they thought was wrong, that they shouldn't do. No matter how, how twisted they might be, I'm sure there was a, a pang of conscience about some of the things they did. And we, we know stories of people who did heinous things, terrible things. And we wonder, you know, as, as a moral judge like we're reading about, we think, how could they do that? I can't, I can't even imagine doing some of those things. And, and it could be, you know, but we all stand on God's standard. He's the one that will judge but we have guilt based on what we know. And then in verse 16, it says again, on that day when, according to my gospel, God judges the secrets of men by Christ Jesus. Christ Jesus is the judge. And I'm just going to take a, a few minutes. We're going to go through this kind of fast, but there are some other passages about judgment in the scriptures. And, you know, I, I was thinking, well, the primary audience of this section is people that are judges, you know, maybe self-righteous judges. And I can relate to them, and if you know your Bible, you probably think, oh, well, but the Bible does say to judge, right? So I wanted to just bring up a couple scriptures because I think we get a little bit more context for believers that are called to judge about who and how we should approach that. So uh, first, let's look at 1 Corinthians 4. And it says, this is Paul speaking, and he's, he's talking about how people are, 
are judging him and saying he's not a true servant of God and he's just in it for the money and so on and so forth, so you shouldn't listen to him. And he says, I don't even judge myself, for I'm not aware of anything against myself, but I'm not thereby acquitted. It's the Lord who judges me. Therefore, do not pronounce judgment before the time, before the Lord comes, who will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness and will disclose the purposes of the heart. Then each one will receive his commendation from God. So we're not qualified judges. And so if we sit in judgment against our fellow man, we are kicking God off the throne, if you will, right? So what was one of the main departure points of man was that he knew God, but he didn't acknowledge him as God, okay? God is the judge. God's the only one that can get to the heart of the matter. So Paul says, look, I can't even judge my own motives. And I find that a lot of times, you know, I want to understand why I want to do what I do so I know if I should do this or not. And I can't even figure that out sometimes. Or somebody says, well, it seemed like you kind of did this for that reason. And I realize, oh, yeah, I did. But we're not called to that because God is the one who is going to bring to light the hidden things in darkness. So here's another passage regarding judgment. And uh, I'll just read that too. It says, But now I'm writing to you not to associate with anyone who bears the name of brother if he's guilty of sexual immorality or greed or is idolater, reviler, drunkard, or swindler, not even to eat with such a one. For what have I to do with judging outsiders? Is it not those inside the church whom you are to judge? God judges those outside. Purge the evil person from among you. So from this, we kind of learned that within the church and those who are taking a position of being a, a Christian, that there is a higher standard. And the church has a responsibility to identify when this gross evil is being lived in as a lifestyle and to call it out and separate from it. But we're not supposed to be doing that with the world, okay? Because God is the one that's going to judge the whole world. And we are here to, to share the light of the gospel, just like Paul. Yeah, he's saying these things are all sin. Compare yourself to this. How do you match up? And you fail, but God is calling you to salvation. So that's our relationship with the world as ambassadors for God to say, be reconciled to God. That's the job God has given us, not to sit as the judge of the world. Okay, so then in Matthew 7, and this is a very, very popular verse, especially among those who want to live in sin but don't want anybody to call them out for it. And so Jesus says, Judge not that you be not judged. Why do you see the speck that's in your brother's eye but do not notice the log that's in your own eye? You hypocrite. First, take the log out of your own eye and then you'll be able to see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. So judgment between one another is supposed to be for the purpose of helping each other. And if we haven't had the deliverance from sin in our own lives and the recognition of the power of God in our own lives to take sin out of our own practice and not live under the power of sin anymore, we won't be able to help our brother with the problems that he has. But we are expected to help one another with the problems that we have with sin. 
but it's not in that spirit of I'm going to judge you and put you down and punish you. It's in the spirit of this is not happy for you. This is not healthy for you. This is miserable for you to be living under the control of sin. And I have the answer. It's faith in Jesus. It's the obedience of faith that Paul talks about here in these passages. So, one more, Colossians 6, verse 1, it says, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. So those who are caught in sin should be restored. But it should be by somebody who is spiritual, who is not living a lifestyle of sin. And it should be done with gentleness, and it should be done with humility, recognizing that all of us are capable, really, of any sin. And so we need to keep our hearts, keep them seeking immortality and glory and honor, things that are above, things that are a future in heaven, and in humility recognize that we still have this nature that's capable of this sin. So our goal any, any judgment, I believe, that we as Christians enter into should be with our brothers and sisters, and it should be with gentleness and humility and with a, a purpose of bringing them into the joy of their salvation, not a condemning, judging, finger-pointing kind of judgment. Okay, so we've learned that there is judgment coming from God that he's impartial, that he uses a just standard, and we will experience the, judge, the judgment based on what we do or do not do. And we've seen that the reason God is withholding his judgment toward us is to give us time to repent so that we can turn from our sin and turn to God through faith, knowing that Jesus died to redeem us from our sins, to pay the price for the sins, because there is this judgment for sin, and we have sinned, something has to be done about that, or we will be banned from God's presence. Well, that something is the cross of Jesus. And he shed his blood to cleanse away those sins and to make us righteous before God, to bring us into obedience through his Spirit, that when we believe in Jesus by faith, he gives us his Spirit which gives us power to walk in freedom from the power of sin. So that is God's goal. And so today, there's two different responses here. Maybe one is you realize, yeah, I'm, I'm kind of a judge of these people we read about chapter 1, but I'm not really pure in my motives. I'm not pure in everything I do. Uh, I'm not pure in everything I pursue. My motives are not always good. And so I stand in judgment, too, before God. But I want to turn and repent and come to the cross today. So that's one, one uh, response I would hope that if you're in that position. The other is, if you are living in faith in Jesus Christ and have been redeemed, that you can rejoice. That as we sang it, you know, that song right before I came up here, it started out that, he came for every criminal, every Pharisee, every hypocrite. 
So this passage is talking about those Pharisees and hypocrites, the ones that think they're good and better than others, but they're not. We're not. I'm not. God's grace has been at work in my life to bring me to that realization, and I rejoice that even for somebody who thinks he was okay, God made me realize I was not, and he brought me into salvation. So I just want to close here with this verse from Romans 6. It says, You are now ashamed of the things you used to do, things that end in eternal doom. But now you are free from the power of sin and have become slaves of God. Now you do those things that lead to holiness and result in eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So the band is going to come up and, and play a song, and we're also going to have a time uh, during that next song where you can come up to the table and take the bread, which is given by Jesus as a reminder of his body given for us. And you can take the juice, which was given by Jesus as a reminder of his blood that was shed to cover our sins. And do so in thanksgiving that God has saved you. And if you don't know that God has saved you, then just sit back and, and perhaps this is the day it is the day that you should turn to him in faith and seek that honor and glory and immortality that's available because Jesus died for us. Let's just close in prayer. Lord, thank you for this cup and for this bread that reminds us of the blood and body of Jesus given for us. Thank you that through faith in Jesus and through believing you and giving you the place, acknowledging you as God, and giving you thanks that we can have uh, freedom from sin, from its penalty, and from its power in our life, and that we can walk in liberty. Thank you for Calvary. We just ask again your blessing on your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Now I give in Jesus everything. Now I gladly to me.